Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Ah, uh, we're back again, and it's fall. It's actually getting cool in Southern California at night, yeah, especially. It's nice. I've been enjoying the cooler weather. Not to make our Midwestern friends feel bad, but we almost turned on the heat the other night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of turning up the heat, wow, the election was just a day or so ago, and there's no final results yet. At least as we're recording this, there right. might be by Friday exactly. when we release exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. But we just want to remind people to have patience and trust that democracy is working. Right. And also, Laura, I have to say, we have friends all over the political spectrum, and we just want to remind everybody we should be kind when we talk to each other and and listen as much as we can. Actually, your song that you recorded. Which is titled Talk to Each Other. Exactly. That's what (laughs) made me think of it, honey. But it's actually about that, about Being willing to listen to hear opinions that are different from yours, which seems to be getting harder and harder for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is that? It's on, you can go to my YouTube page, which is Laura Hall Music on YouTube, and the song's called Talk to Each Other. And it's just a reminder, you know, there have been strong feelings going into this election. And so our ability to talk to each other and to be kind is really important. And, you know, the plus of it is there's been, like, record-breaking turnout for voting. You know, that's fantastic. The more people engaged, the better. That's how democracy works. Exactly. Hey, that's not the only challenge this week. Laura has been working on her videos teaching people how to be a musical director like like she does. But uh, it's been a bit of a challenge, hasn't it, honey? It has. There's a big learning curve. <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> you know, like learning to do anything new. Um, yeah, I've had to start over for my second time. And by start over, we mean hours of work. Yeah, I was 10 episodes in at least. Yeah. But, you know, it's like I didn't know how to make CDs when I first started making them. And now I do. And I learned partly by doing it, you know. So I'm trying to give myself, I'm trying to be patient with myself. And you know what? People take classes to learn what you're learning and pay a lot of money and it takes time. So maybe you're just, you're self-taught. Exactly. So I'm starting over again, but I'm feeling really confident this time. And I'm still enjoying it. (laughs) Right, right. And I have to say, and I'm just going to brag on you for a second. I think when you get done with this, this is going to be like the textbook of how to do what you do as a musical director for improv. And I think, I don't think there's anything out there like it. I haven't seen anything even remotely like it out there. (laughs) Well, it's coming hopefully by Christmas? Uh, We'll see. I don't know. It depends. Okay. Yeah. And that's another thing. I'm just being patient with myself. That's right. Do the work and see how it turns out. And speaking of doing the work, Rick has been working hard on the audio book. Speaking of uh, learning while doing, I have to redo things, too. Just figuring out as I'm going along, but I'm really enjoying it. A couple of the scenes have been really dramatic, and I get emotional. And I'm like, I come in the house, and I'm like, Laura, I've been out in the studio crying. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I'm doing the finishing edits 
on it, and I get emotional listening to them. And when you're editing, you know, it's really mechanical. Right. So it's um, for me to get emotional and get caught up in the storytelling is a testament to the good writing of our friend Phil Swan, but also the good acting of our friend Rick Hall. Oh, thank you, honey. You know, another thing about Phil's writing, Laura will listen to a chapter and then she'll go, I want to know what happens. And she'll read ahead because she doesn't know the whole story. So yeah. that's a quite a compliment, too, when you're that deep into the mechanics of recording it and you still want to listen to the story. Exactly. For the story on this episode, we tried something new. Last week, our friend Deanna Moffat ask us to do her online storytelling show. It's called The Antidote. You can find it on Facebook. It's really good storytelling. She she curates a really good show. She does. She really takes care about which storytellers she brings in and that the stories go well together with each other. And it's really an honor to be asked to do it. Right. So she asked us to tell a tandem story, both of us telling a story together. And even though we do the hosting on the show together, we've never told a story together. So that will be our story on this episode. Yes. So we'll see how different it is than this intro. <laughs> <laughs> it will be different, I think. So we recorded it live as we did the uh, Zoom storytelling show. Yes. So here it is. It's called Right Place, Right Time. Recorded for the antidote. Even though it's pre-recorded, I hope it goes well. Had we met when we were young, there is no way we would have gotten together. We were so different. I grew up on a farm. Uh, our biggest activity of the week was going to church on Sunday. That was our big social event. And as a matter of fact, I always thought that I if I when I marry a girl it'll be one of the girls from the Baptist youth group you know and then I'll be a, a, a farmer or a veterinarian and she'll work at Rudolph's department store that would be it and I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago we didn't go to church when I grew up was growing up and you know I know a lot of little girls dream about the white wedding dress and everything but not me I was a tomboy yep yep now when I uh, when, when I went to high school, I branched out a bit, you know. I joined the FFA, the Future Farmers of America, and I played trombone in the marching band. Yeah, I was sort of a hippie girl in high school, and I started out in marching band, but then I wasn't into it because I had better things to do on Friday night. I loved it because I had nothing better to do on Friday night than go to the football games. And as far as hippies go... I had never even met a hippie, let alone want to be one. So I ended up dropping out of marching band. I sold my French horn to buy my first electric piano to play in a rock band. What kind of girl sells her French horn to be in a rock band? No, no. So then I went to college and, um, you know, I didn't want to live in the dorms. Like, that was for nerds. So, you know, by six weeks into my freshman year... I was living in a house with a bunch of other musicians, six of us in a house. The rent was $200 a month total, so $33 each. And we were still scrounging at the end of the month to pay for it. 
Okay, so dorms were for nerds. I loved the dorm. I lived in the dorm all four years. I thought it was great. And I went, when I went to McMurray College, I was going to be a veterinarian and get all my pre-vet classes out of the way and, and be a veterinarian. But I auditioned for a play that first month there, and they started casting me in shows. And long story short, by the middle of my sophomore year, I declared myself a theater major, which thrilled my parents because, you know, as a veterinarian, you just never know where your next job is going to come from. <laughs> And while I was still in college in Chicago, I got hired at the Second City as a waitress. I was on the five-and-a-half-year plan at school. <laughs> yeah. So I waitressed for a while, and then I got hired to play piano in the touring company, which was technically a demotion because I made way more money waitressing than I did as a musician. But I was just doing a sub, subbing because I was still in college. So I'd do the occasional, like, weekend up in, you know, the Wisconsin Dells or something. Oh, fancy. Yes, very glamorous. And then what was really cool was on Monday nights when the theater was dark, the touring company got to do a show then. And that was super cool. Then after college, I moved to Chicago and I got an apartment in Little Italy. They thought I was Italian, so I really fit in, you know. So I was living in the gritty city, you know, and I was going to auditions and taking classes. And I was at a class one day and somebody mentioned that Second City was having auditions. Um, I didn't know much about improv, but I loved Second City, and I thought, oh, I'll go audition for them. I was so inexperienced, I didn't have an experience, enough experience to know that I was too inexperienced to go audition, <laughs> which probably helped me do a good audition. I had a great time, you know, doing an audition in yeah. Second City. So I was at a rehearsal with the touring company. It was right before we were going out for our fall tour because we mostly played colleges and universities, so we would prep for it. I was still the sub. It was great. I was getting ready for my senior year, my final senior year in college. <laughs> <laughs> and But I could still gig on weekends, right? I could do the occasional Wisconsin gig. Well, we're there at rehearsal. We're not a half hour in before the full-time musician has a huge fight with the boss and storms out. And she turns to me and says, you want to go on the road? And I'm like, oh, I, my, my. The right place at the right time. Yeah, except that my oh. last year of college was three weeks away. So I ended up calling the head of the department, the music department, and I said, hey, what do you think? if I did an independent study for my entire senior year. So when I'm on the road, I'll be working on my own. And then when I'm home, I'll do classes. And she's like, well, no one's ever done that before. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. So um, I, I, I talked her into it. So the next Monday night, we had a show at the theater. And I came in and said, hey, guess what? I can go on the road. That Monday afternoon, I got a call from Donnie DiPolo, one of the directors at Second City, and he said, we want to hire you, which I was thrilled. I was like, really? I don't even know what I'm doing here. That night, I was going to go improvise with the cast, the touring company, and I walked backstage that night, I remember, and I looked at these, this cast, and I went, oh, these are the people I'm going to tour with. Ooh, I like that hippie piano player. <laughs> Can you see the stars were starting to align for us? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so uh, we went on the road together, and uh, we, boy, we did a no-no. We had a road romance. Those and never work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're bad. I well, don't think her cast even knew. I don't know. They might have. Maybe they did. Ooh. 
but we did work it out. And so, you know, we were rolling along. We're living in the city. We're young adults. We're starting our career. We've actually got a paying gig. Like, we were doing great. Right. One day I got out of my car to get into my apartment in Little Italy, and I stepped over the curb, and I looked down in the gutter, and there was this a woman's ring laying in the gutter. I, and I picked it up. It was gold, and it had an emerald in the middle. I'm sorry, a ruby in the middle, mm-hmm. and four little diamonds around it, and it was really pretty. But Little Italy, everybody knows everybody's business there. So I started asking around the neighborhood, because I'm sure if anybody lost it, we'd know. And after two weeks, nobody claimed it. So I had it in my pocket one day, and I said, hey, Laura, do you want this ring? It's kind of cool ring. It's a really cute ring. Do you want it? And it fit her, and you started wearing yeah, it. So I was like, sure, it's a pretty little ring. It had no emotional, like, oh, he's giving me his ring. It wasn't that. It was just like, oh, you found this ring, and it's a pretty ring. Well, there was some emotional, like, oh, I like you. I, yeah, you know. but I mean, the ring wasn't like, oh, now it's a big commitment. But, mm-hmm. but the problem was everyone started saying, Oh, when's the wedding date? Did Rick pop the question? And I was like, no. Neither one of us were ready for that. So remember, she took the ring and put it in her jewelry box and stopped wearing it. And I was okay with that because I was tired of people asking, hey, I see you popped the question. Right. So what was going on? Then you moved to L.A. Oh, yeah. Oh, after that, I got an agent and I left Second City and I got an agent in L.A. And I started uh, dividing my time between L.A. and Chicago. So we had a long distance relationship for quite a while. Which is a big drag. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. So one day I was actually I was sitting in church and I was sitting there and I was, you know, with my friends and with my church family. But I felt alone and I realized Oh my gosh, I want to, I want Laura to be here with me. I think I'm going to ask her to marry me. I was a little old for it, but I think it was the variation on marrying the girl from the youth group. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That winter, I came home for uh, Christmas break, and New Year's Eve, we both had separate gigs. We were going our separate ways, and uh, right before we left Laura's apartment, I got down on one knee, and I said, do you want to marry me? And I said, we could get married. It was like it never occurred to you. before. Well, it had. It just had never seemed real. I mean, we've been dating for seven years. Seven. <laughs> it seven. wasn't like. But, for but it was somehow, mutual. Neither one of yeah. us were quite ready. But this was the right time. You yeah. know what? And so then I reached in my pocket. I'd gone through her jewelry box and I had that ring I had found years ago. And I gave it to her and I said, would you wear this until we can get you the ring you really want? And I said, that's the ring I've always wanted. And I, um, not to brag, but I realized what a good actor I was because I, instead of going, yeah, whoa, free ring, woo, <laughs> I said, oh, that would be really sweet, honey. That's so romantic. And there is a fine line between romantic and cheap, I guess. But I'd always loved that ring. And I'm a practical girl, too. I was like, cool, we don't have to pay for <laughs> right, right, that ring. Right, So it was finally the right time and the right place for that ring. That's right. And the right time and the right place for us. That was fun telling a story together, honey. It was really fun. It, I enjoyed it. 
And it's really different than the hosting we're doing right now. Exactly. <laughs> Can you tell the difference now? Now we're done with the story. Oh. And we're doing the outro. It is so different. Uh-huh. Hey, okay, I like to do this to Laura, sometimes live here, and let's see how it goes. Laura, I have a question for you. Okay. When I was younger, I actually thought about almost every girl I dated. I thought about what would it be like if I was married to her? Did you ever think about that with guys? I did. I did, but not you you dated more girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds bad, but I was a good boy. So, I had fewer relationships, but they were longer. So, especially like my boyfriend, you know, from high school into my college years, the beginning of college, that's the point in your life when you start thinking, oh, I wonder what it would be like if we got married. Not me. I thought about it from the girl I kissed in third grade behind the ball shed on the playground. <laughs> Maybe it's just the way I grew up, honey. Maybe. We're, we're sort of the opposite of the stereotype because getting married, I was not into the white wedding dress. Oh, I, I couldn't didn't... wait to wear a white wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, by the way, when we did the show, people asked, do you still have the ring? Yeah, they wanted me to show it since it was a Zoom online thing. But unfortunately, the ring got stolen. Several years ago, actually. Yeah, so I was pregnant and I got really swollen towards the very end. And so I wore it on a chain around my neck and I went swimming and I took it off to swim because I didn't know if it would be good to be in that chlorinated water. And someone stole it. Right. Although Deanna in the show said, I like to think that maybe somebody who really needed a ring for his fiance got that ring and gave it to them. I don't. I'm still mad. <laughs> and what a dark way to begin your marriage. Hey, I stole. Hey, baby, I stole this ring for you. <laughs> That's like our friends who got their wedding gifts stolen out of their car. Do you right. remember that? And they were like. Oh, well, wouldn't it be nice if someone, like, gave them, it was close to Christmas, like, gave them out as Christmas presents? I'm like, those are the world's worst Christmas presents. Hey, I stole these things for you. And then they had to write thank you notes. Thank you for the thing you probably <laughs> gave us. Because <laughs> they didn't know what people had given them. So losing your ring was not the biggest challenge we've ever had. At least we didn't have to write thank you notes for imaginary gifts. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think we have said all there is to say about that story, although the story continues. It does. There right? you go. Because we're still married and everything. <laughs> so far. <laughs> so have a good week. Stay calm. Stay positive. Hey, honey. Yeah. I love you. I love you, too. Is that too sappy sweet for everybody? I don't know. They can let us know. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.